Good morning, church. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. By the way, if you're visiting today, we are really glad that you are here. Maybe you saw the massive uh, blood vans out there, the blood drive vehicles. I don't know what we're calling them. Uh, But what a great idea on a weekend like this. Um, And so if you're brand new and you're checking things out, we're really glad you're here. My name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors around here. And we're in a a series uh, right now called Winning at Relationships. And we are looking at all the different kinds of relationships. And um, on a weekend like this, uh, we thought it would be incredibly appropriate to talk about friendship, about what it looks like uh, to be an incredible friend, and what are the qualities or characteristics of what a great friend looks like. And um, I'm super excited to be able to share um, with you, um, but I want to pray, and I'm going to ask uh, God uh, just to be invited into this time, um, and uh, so would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, on a weekend like this, we thank you so much, uh, Lord, for those who have uh, laid down their lives, uh, for the freedoms that we have uh, here in this this country specifically. But God, even if we didn't have the freedoms that we have, Lord, we understand that we have ultimate freedom because of what you did by sending your son Jesus down to this earth. Lord, to walk with us, um, to to live amongst us, and offer us a freedom uh, that transcends any other kind of freedom that we could ever wrap our minds around, God. And so, Jesus, as we dive into your word, as we understand what it looks like uh, to have a friendship, uh, Lord, is the first kind of relationship that we have here uh, on this earth, Lord. May your words be so clear, and may every word that comes from my mouth be exactly what you want to be heard here today. We love you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I grabbed my two bags, and I headed for the front door and walked out to my car. I unlocked it, opened up the back door, put both bags in, shut the door, got in my car, started it up, and drove off. Went, parked at my college where I was attending, and got out and grabbed the bag that had all of my books in it and walked into class. Sat in class, class was over, grabbed that bag, walked back out to my car, unlocked it, threw that bag back into my car, got in, drove off and went to work. And when I got to work, I grabbed my other bag, locked my car, went into my place of employment, and worked the typical college job. And after that was done, I grabbed that same bag, and I walked back in to, walked out into uh, into the parking lot, unlocked my car, threw my bag in, and went back home. And I would do this every day for the entire first year of my college experience. I only went three places. I went to college, I went to work, and I went home. And that is precisely the problem. It was rinse and repeat. You see, when I graduated high school, I had nothing to show for the friendships that I had built because there were no depth in those high school friendships that I sought. I sought popularity, I sought the fun crowd, and I ran with that crowd. I had two friends who were Christians, and when they graduated high school, they went off and they were a part of schools that were not in this area. And so that connection and that commitment that I had with them, it was now a little distant, not the same that it had been. And all of a sudden, I found myself, after my freshman year of college, the loneliest person on the planet. Oh, I was around a lot of people. I would sit in lecture halls with a couple hundred people at a time. I would go to work and work with coworkers. I would go back home and there'd be people living in my home with me. 
but I was the loneliest person in the world. And that was my story. It would be at the very beginning of my sophomore year of college, I had a realization that I knew how to fix the problem of loneliness that I had been experiencing. I actually knew the answer all along. I just thought that it would be my answer, my way, my path, that would be the fix. But it never worked. And I spent that first year of college with nothing to show for any kind of results because of previous friendships that I had. But I knew where to go. I remember waking up one morning and saying, this is going to be the morning or I'm going to change everything. And I knew exactly where I needed to go. You see, I grew up in church. I sat in these seats. I went to these youth ministries. I did all of this. I went to all the summer camps. I even went to private Christian school all the way through eighth grade. In fact, I spent nine years of my life, six days a week on the exact same campus. And I knew where to go. I just didn't want church to be the answer. I didn't want that community to be the answer, but I knew that's where the answer lied. I remember walking into the college ministry that night, and there was about 13 people there that night. Usually if you walk into a college ministry and there's 13 people, that's not the kind of college ministry that you want to be a part of. But I said, no, this is going to be it. And I'll never forget that when we were done, there was a guy that I had known from the high school ministry. His name was Tim. And we had chatted a little bit. We weren't friends in high school. He went to another school, but we went to the same church. In fact, I was actually afraid of him in high school. He was the kid that sat in the very back. No offense to the people sitting in the back. <laughs> if I was speaking to a group of high schoolers or middle schoolers and I said they were the kids sitting in the back, I would say, take offense to that. You should be sitting in front. But he had a skateboard back there in high school, and I was afraid of him, but I remember him walking up to me, and he said, hey, there's a bunch of us that are going to go to In-N-Out after, and we're going to go grab some food. Do you want to come? I had to play it so cool. Uh, yeah, I'll have to, let me think. Do I have anything going on after this? No, I think, I think I can go. Inside, I'm like, yes, a friend! <laughs> and so we'd go to In-N-Out, and man, the rest would be history. We sat across the booth with a few other people, and he and I, we just talked. Almost, we almost shut down In-N-Out, which is late we almost had to go fourth meal at In-N-Out at that point. It was huge. But I'll never forget sitting there, and I'll never forget this invitation that he said, hey, I, I lead a group of middle school boys, eighth grade boys. They're starting their eighth grade year. You should come serve with me. I uh, have to check my calendar. <laughs> yes! It would be that interaction. It would be that kind of interaction that would change my life. You see, up until that point, I had been praying, God, I just need a friend. I just need somebody. Would you bring somebody? And God would answer that prayer, sitting at an in and out where God answers almost all prayers, if we're being honest. 
because there's Bible verses all over the place. (laughs) But God would answer that prayer. And I know in a room this size, and people watching online, that there are some of you that you would say, this has been your prayer for a while now. And I understand the power of this specific prayer. And so I want to pray for anybody in here. I'm going to spend some time right now to pray for anybody in here who might be praying that prayer. God, I just need a friend. So would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for every single person in this room right now watching online. Lord, they're not tuning into this by accident. Lord, I pray on behalf of every single person hearing this in the way that you answered my prayer through the power of the name of Jesus, I pray for friends, for the prayers that are being lifted up, for the people who wouldn't tell anybody about this prayer that they have been praying by themselves. Lord, would you bring a friend? Would you answer that prayer according to your will and not our own? Thank you for hearing this prayer today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, there's a plague in America today, and it's this. It's the friendless male. Now, I want everybody to obviously tune in today. This isn't just for the males. There's obviously women in here who would love to have incredible friendships, but statistics would say that the biggest issue that we see in our world today when it comes to loneliness is the friendless male. Culturally, we are struggling struggling to understand what modern friendships even look like. We've replaced the term, if you remember it well, the mano y mano, like this one-on-one, this friendship that we have, this embracing that we have with one another. We've replaced them with the digital efficiency of social media, which is incredibly ironic. While it's digital, it's not deep, and these superficial digital relationships are a part of what is making us increasingly lonely. In a recent study, of over two decades of data that was surveyed on social isolation, it would be published in the American uh, Sociological Review magazine that found that the adult, white, heterosexual male, the adult, white, heterosexual male has the fewest friends of all people in America. I'm an adult, I'm white, And I'm a heterosexual. And so at one point, this was true of me. And if I'm not careful, I could slip back into this. In fact, according to a more recent study that was done, 22% of millennial kids, which at this point would be kids in their late 20s, into their 30s, maybe even early 20s, they would say that they would classify themselves as having... Uh, 22% of them would say that they have no friends at all. This is despite being lauded as the most connected generation in history. You know, there's several things that hinder our desire for close relationships today. There's several factors that contribute to this. First, it's our pace of life. We're too busy to nurture the kinds of relationships that we are looking for. It's the distractions of life. 
The on-demand content, the social media, the video games, it's all of these things that are instant in our hands. It's the mobility of life. People moving all the time, job to job, location to location. Then there's the isolation of life. We spend too much time in front of these screens where oftentimes it's easier to lament just by looking into a screen. And then there's the cynicism of life. It's the mistrust or it's the distrust that has been caused in our life and we are reluctant to let our guard down. You see, all of these serve as a barrier to true lasting friendships. This is the first kind of relationship that we experience in our life. It's this relationship. It's friendship. Do you remember your very first friend? You remember that very first friend that you either met at school or that lived next door to you? Or maybe you played on a soccer team at four years old when those four-year-old soccer teams resemble just a swarm of bees running around a soccer field. You probably remember your first friend. And today we're going to look at some comments by the Apostle Paul in a letter that he writes to the Philippians where Paul acknowledges two incredibly close friendships. People who have been there for him probably could argue that these were two of his best friends. So if you are in uh, Philippians, flip, op- flip open to the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. And this is usually how Paul would actually end his message, his letters. There's a lot of thought around maybe Paul actually went back and inserted this. Or maybe he ended his letter and intended to end it. And then all of a sudden there was something else because we've got other chapters in Philippians that are ready to follow. But he writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. And I'm going to pause halfway through. Look at this. It says this. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send you Timothy. That's his friend. More about Timothy in a second. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send you Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy. There is no one else in my life that is like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care for only themselves and not for what uh, what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Timothy was a young man. Timothy was one that Paul would help introduce and help come to Christ. It would be Timothy's mother and grandmother who were Jewish believers, but his father was Greek. And Timothy came to faith and became Paul's loyal companion. And you see that evident in the words that Paul says about him, that he has proved himself, that I have no one else like Timothy. Timothy would actually be with Paul when he ministered in the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth, more on Corinth in a minute, Ephesus, and he was with him in prison in Rome. You see, Paul trained Timothy for ministry personally. He would train him personally. 
He would understand the difficulties and shortcomings, and these two would be inseparable. Paul would continue right after talking about Timothy, and he would say this in verse 25. We continue, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a, check this out, a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. You have somebody in your life that you could call out to like that? Someone that you could say, man, this guy's a true brother. Man, this woman, she is a true sister. This is a coworker. This is somebody that will work beside me no matter what. This is a fellow soldier that will trudge through the trials with me. Paul continues, he said, and he was your messenger, uh, messenger to help me in my need. Paul continues, I'm sending him because, you have, uh, because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill and certainly he was. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you for I know that you will be glad to see him and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve for he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Epaphroditus is actually sent by this particular church in Philippi, this letter that Paul is writing to, to go help Paul, to go minister beside Paul. And while he was gone, he would actually get really sick and almost die. And we aren't really sure what Epaphroditus actually did for Paul, but Paul uses some strong words to describe him. Look at, look at what he, look at what he uh, calls him in verse 25. Look at this. Remember, he calls him a true believer, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. These are some incredibly strong words. Calls him a true brother, recognizing that they belong to the same family of God. He calls him a co-worker, that they are laboring towards the same goal. Do you have people in your life that are like-minded for the same goal? And then he calls him a fellow Soldier, as we take on trials and a lot of times the difficulties that we experience, you have somebody there that's willing to stand beside you no matter what. These strong words lead us to believe, these strong words that Paul writes about Timothy and about Epaphroditus, that there had been an incredible bond created between these two. And Paul draws us a picture of what a true believer what a true Christian servant is like. But in doing so, he actually painted a picture for us of what true friendship looks like. And there's four things that I want you to take away from today. Four things that we see from what Paul's interaction with these two men and their interaction with him. Four qualities that we ought to look for in a friend, but also they should be true of us. Because oftentimes we need to stop worrying about looking for good friends and we need to start being a good friend first and foremost. Four things. The first one is this. Number one, be present. Be present. The first characteristic of friendship of Timothy and Epaphroditus exhibit is, this, is just the simple fact they were present with Paul. They were present with him. Remember, Paul's not on a speaking tour. 
He's not speaking to sold out arenas. And these are the hype guys that walk out ahead of time and they build up this guy. Man, Paul is here and he's crazy and he's awesome and I can't wait to hear from him. This man's sitting in jail. This man is often unpopular. And there is a good chance that Emperor Nero was actually beginning to have Paul executed, to begin to want to have this happen. Paul shows up in jail numerous times. And then it would be a distinct possibility that not only would Paul or could Paul lose his life, but the people that were most closely associated with Paul would also do that. So block out this speaking tour that Paul might be on and the fact that these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were just present with him and their mere presence with him meant that they were taking their lives into their own hands. And as a result, because that's so risky, I bet a lot of people shied away from Paul. This guy... I feel like I hear every other day, this guy's gonna die, that this guy's gonna be executed. I don't wanna be associated with that. I don't wanna lose my life, but yet they were present. When Paul was popular, I'm sure lots of people thought themselves to be Paul's friends. But when Paul was unpopular, I bet he looked around and he goes, man, where is everybody? And in a passage like this, we're led to believe that he had just a couple. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Often those friends would disappear. Look at this letter that he writes to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy in chapter four. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Please come. I need you. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. I need you. I need your presence. I need you to be with me. You see, friends are the people who are with you when others will not be. This is why the idea of friendship is so incredibly important. Showing up is just half the battle because there will be moments where you will need people in your life to sit with you in a hospital, to sit quietly as you grieve, to be available at a moment's notice in a crisis, to come out and help in the middle of the night to lend a hand when there's work to be done? Do you have those kinds of relationships in your life? Do you have a friendship in your life that somebody will stand by you that will always be present? Because in today's society, there's an interesting phenomenon going on. You see, we live in a society today where people would actually be more interested in wanting to call you out for your actions. They would rather be accountable for what you do by pointing blame to what you do. But instead of offering to be accountable for somebody, we need to be a, a society that will declare that we will be accountable to somebody. And what I mean by that is this. We need to be a people that will stand face to face uh, and sit down knee to knee, eye to eye, and be willing to call someone out that we know, that we love, that we respect in a private manner and say, I have to be accountable to you. Which is why this hard, truthful conversation is going to be incredibly difficult. But what that follows up is this. While you will be accountable to them, that does not mean that you have to be accountable for them. Because you can't control their actions when they go out and leave that conversation. And so our conversation is this, friend, I'm going to be accountable to you, 
but I can't be accountable for you. This is often where we begin to blur the lines of our responsibility for people, not our responsibility to people. And what happens is, is we, things like, we see things like codependency begin to surface because we feel a responsibility for someone's actions. God did not call us to go be accountable for what someone does. God calls us Christians to go to other Christians, friends, people that we trust, and say, I have to be accountable to you in this moment, but I can't be accountable for you beyond this. And this is a responsibility that we cannot neglect. But this is also a responsibility that we have to get right. Next week, we're talking about boundaries, and we are going to continue to unpack what it actually means when we say, I want to be accountable to you in this moment, but I can't be accountable for you. Because there's a huge difference between both of them. Back in the 1940s and 50s, the color barrier in baseball was beginning in, uh, to be broken. And of course, Jackie Robinson would be the one that would break that color barrier. And there would be a day where they were playing in Cincinnati and uh, he was uh, alongside on the field uh, a teammate by the name of Pee Wee Reese. And the crowd was not having it. Most crowds were not having it, including the home crowd of Brooklyn for whom Jackie Robinson would play for. And before the games would even start, fans would begin to ridicule him and jeer him and all these different things and just tear him down. And in the bottom of the first inning, one game against Cincinnati, they would take the field, and the crowd was just all over him. The first pitch hadn't even been thrown yet in the bottom of the first. And Jackie Robinson's teammate, Pee Wee Reese, walks over before the first pitch is even thrown, and he stands next to him in front of thousands of people, booing this man, namely just because of the color of his skin. And Pee Wee -wee Reese walks over, and he puts his arm around him, puts his arm around him. And the crowd began to silence. It'd be decades later in Brooklyn where this statue would actually call back to this moment. Why is this so important? Because Pee Wee Reese knew that his teammate, his co-worker, his friend that he had an obligation to go be accountable to him even in some of the most difficult circumstances that Jackie Robinson was facing. And Pee Wee Reese knew that he couldn't be accountable for what he did off the field. But he knew that he had to be accountable to him in this moment because they were friends. Jackie Robinson would later say that the arm that would show up around his shoulder would actually be the arm that would not only save his career, but it would save his life. Are you the kind of friend that's willing to go stand alongside somebody else who is experiencing difficulty where you are present for somebody? And do you have somebody in your life that's willing to be present with you? You see, showing up is just half the battle. Truly, it's half the battle. I've been around student ministry for a long time in my life. And I would tell, I would tell uh, leaders this, people who are interested in youth ministry. I would say, you know what? Showing up is just half the battle. These students want to know that you are with them and that you are for them and that you will support them. That's half the battle. And around here, we think it's a huge deal. 
In fact, I could narrow down just about every single person in this room, anybody who would be willing to step foot into a church, and put you into one of two camps as to why you could actually be an incredible candidate to go serve in one of our next-gen ministries, whether it's kids' ministry, whether it's junior high ministry, or whether it's our high school ministry, and it's this. uh, Statistics would say that half of you would probably align yourself in this first camp, that you could actually be used in one of these next-gen ministries to go be present with a young person because you lived your life with an incredible foundation, You had other leaders when you were in school and when you were in junior high and high school that poured into you and you had an amazing foundation. Maybe you even had a godly marriage between your parents that you watched and you got to see on display and you had an amazing youth pastor and you had an incredible village of people around you. It doesn't mean that you're perfect because you're not, none of us are, but you have an amazing story and people were there for you and you could reason that you don't want anybody to go through life and miss out on what you experienced. And so you have an opportunity to go be present with somebody. That's the first camp. The other camp would be this. Your life growing up was tough. There were no great godly examples in your life. There weren't youth leaders, youth pastors, You weren't even part of a church. Maybe you didn't even call yourself a Christian, or maybe you weren't a Christian at that time, and you struggled, and life was hard, and it was incredibly difficult. And you would reason that because of the experience that I had, I don't want any young person today to have to experience what I experienced And I will move heaven and earth to see to it that I can impact as many lives as possible. And it doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It doesn't uh, uh, mean that you have to be this theologically deep person and have the whole Bible memorized. All it means is this. You just have to be present. You just have to show up. You just have to be willing to put in the work because there are young people that need this, not because I'm saying it, but because the statistics say it. And maybe I've struck a chord in you today. I invite you to text the word serve to 77247. You'll get a link. That link will potentially set up an opportunity for you to begin to impact young people. I think about VBS coming this summer. Kids are so excited to be able to join together. You got to hear a little bit about it earlier in service. You could join that and make a difference. Why? Because... It's so important just to be present. It's so important just to be present. So the first thing, the first quality, be present. Number two, be sacrificial. Be sacrificial. A second characteristic in both Timothy and Epaphroditus was they're willing to sacrifice. Look at Philippians chapter two, verses 22 to 24. It says this, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. He's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. He wants to send Timothy. But Timothy is actually, he has sacrificed so much 
for him. Epaphroditus actually sacrificed so much by coming to Paul, leaving his church to go and be with Paul. There's such a sacrificial element. Paul would actually write these words about these two, uh, before he would actually write about these two people, he would express earlier in his letter to the Philippians a couple of really, really, really interesting lines. A line that would say, where he would implore his readers to conduct their lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In Philippians 1.27, Paul would write that. That he would implore them to live their lives in a manner worthy according to the gospel. I love that he sets that up and then it would be a little bit later where Paul would say, you know what's also really important? It's also important to lift up the uh, other people's needs before your own. At the very beginning of chapter two, Paul would actually write that. He would say, don't just look out for your own interests, but look for the interests of others. You see, you can't be a good friend if you're only looking out for your own interests. You see, friendship's not about you. Friendship is about the kind of friend that you can be to somebody else. It's about your relationship. And sometimes friendship can be inconvenient. Let's be honest. It can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be challenging. Sometimes it can be unpopular. But if you only desire friends who will say nice things, things to you and never demand anything in return, you'll never have a close friend. Maybe you've heard it like this. A true friend won't stab you in the back. A true friend will stab you in the front. It's kind of weird to think about. But if you really think about it, it's really true. Because they'll be willing to say the hard thing to you. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 6. It says this. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. You see, these men weren't just looking out for their own needs. They weren't with Paul out of some warped desire to gain some sort of special notoriety. They were concerned about what happened to them, or they weren't concerned about what happened to them. They weren't concerned at all with the repercussions of being associated with a man that was constantly in jail and constant conversation about maybe he, this is the time that he needs to be executed, they gave of their time, their energy, their resources. You see, you don't get true friends because of the money that you have, the things that you say, the clothes that you wear. You can get people to hang out with you because of what you have and what you look like or the influence you, or the influence you have or because of what you do, but when somebody has something better, those friends, they'll be gone. There's always bigger and better out there, but a solid friendship or a solid uh, friendship is built on relationship, not superficial things. A person that is willing to sacrifice. A good friend is not there because of what they can get from you. They are there because of what you mean to them. And they will gladly give of themselves for you. John 15:13 says this: "Greater love has no man than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends." We need to be people that are present. We need to be people that are sacrificial. And then number three, we need to be people that are steadfast. We need to be a, a, a people that are steadfast, that are willing to stay committed. Someone that will stay with you through thick and through thin and through difficulty and through trial and through joy and jubilation. They will be with you no matter what. 
A good friend will be with you in the long haul. Look at Proverbs 17, 17. It says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. When things are difficult, who do you call? Who's the first person that you'll pick up the phone and call? And I wanna actually speak to the married people here quickly because I would bet that there are some of you in here that would probably call your spouse first, which is awesome. I think that's great. I think that showcases a, a marriage is built on trust. But there are going to be times in the midst of your marriage, go look at the last two weeks that we've preached, where there are going to be difficulties that you can't go to your spouse and talk about. Now, it matters what you say when you're not around your spouse. You heard about, a little bit about that last week. But do you have a person that you can call? Do you have a friend that you can call, that you can go to, who will stay committed with you? Will they stand by you? Will you stand by your friend? We need to be steadfast. We need to be committed. I love what Paul says about Epaphroditus, and I love this idea, which sounds really weird to say, but I love this idea that Epaphroditus was on his deathbed. There's this idea that Epaphroditus, God's called me to this. God asked me to be here. God asked me to stay with Paul, and so he stayed. Even if he wasn't going to be able to see the people that he was closest with later, I love that idea that he was committed no matter what. He was steadfast. Be present. Be sacrificial. Be steadfast. And then number four, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. This point is so incredibly important. My guess is, is as you've probably heard these first three, you might be looking at this and being like, be present. Oh, I'm present. I, 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 I'm there for people. I, I, I am that. I do, I do that pretty well. People ask and I try to be there for them. Oh, I'm sacrificial. Absolutely. I'd give the shirt off my back. In fact, I buy all my kids shirts. So they're good. My friends? Yeah. I'd sacrifice for my friends. Absolutely. Steadfast? Oh, I'm committed. I'm a person of my word. If I say I'm going to do something, I'll do it. I'm in this for the long haul. But what about this one? Are you vulnerable? You see, the first three are all built on what you can be for your friend. But when it comes to the last one, this is the hardest one. And it's the hardest one because oftentimes we'll make our own path and we'll try to make our own way. Maybe you find yourself hanging out with the wrong crowd and it's easy to do these three things when you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. But the wrong crowd and not having somebody that's close in your life prevents number four from ever happening. I knew that if I was going to find lasting relationship, it was all going to be based on the fact that I was willing to be vulnerable. Which is why when I walked into that room and there were 13 people in that college group that Thursday night, 
I could be those three things. But I needed to embrace the fourth one. What's interesting about Paul's story is this, is that in 2 Corinthians, he would write this letter in roughly A.D. 58. And he would actually write this alongside Timothy. So Timothy was right there with him the entire time. And it would be later in this letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, where Paul would write this. Flip to the next one. It says this, each time, Paul's talking about a thorn that he has in the flesh, a suffering, something that he is pleading with God to take away. God, would you remove this from my flesh? And we don't know what it is. The Bible doesn't talk about it. But Paul says that every time he would ask God, he would get this response that God would tell him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And then Paul would say, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul would write this. Timothy would understand this. I have to believe that Timothy knew about this thorn in his flesh and that Paul was willing to be vulnerable and understand. And so it would be four years later where Paul would write this letter to the Philippians where he would say that this is a close friend of mine. His name is Timothy. And this relationship that he had with Timothy was built on vulnerability. And if we want true, authentic relationships, if we want true, authentic friendships in our life, it has to start with vulnerability. We can sacrifice all day long. We can be present all day long. We can be steadfast and committed to the people in our lives all day long. But if we're not willing, not willing to crack under the, 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 the vulnerable foundation that needs to exist, we will have nothing. You see my prayer calling out to God, pleading for a friend that was all supported underneath by my understanding that I needed to be committed to God first, which is why I made the commitment to go to God first and say, God, I'm willing to do this because I'm lonely. I'm willing to do this, and it was out of desperation, and it was, God, I need you And I knew exactly where my answer was. I knew exactly what I needed to do. And it was from a place of vulnerability in my life. I truly believe as I prayed a lot for a friend throughout that first year of college, I prayed a lot for somebody that would be there for me and with me. That God was actually watching out for me because he wanted that relationship and that friendship to be built on him and not the things of this world. And so he was waiting for me to submit myself to him first before that true friendship would actually exist. And I thank God for it. And maybe today, your prayer of asking God for a friend actually needs to pivot from that prayer and maybe there needs to be a refocus or a realignment in your life where you need to recognize that God actually needs to be first in your life. That you need to be centered on him first. That you need to give your life to him first. That you need to recommit your life to him first. And I don't think God's in the business of, if you do this, I'll do that. But I do believe that God wants the best in the area of friendships in your life. And if you want a godly friendship, you gotta have an incredible encounter with him first. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer 
some 20 years ago. God, I thank you for understanding my need. But God, I also thank you that you instilled in me a desire knowing that I needed to put you first. And so God, I pray for the person in here who needs to put you first. I pray for the person in here who has been just trying to reach and grab for relationships that would fill their life. And the one that they haven't reached for quite yet is the relationship that they can have with you. And so I pray for the person in here who has never given their life to you. I pray they would do that. I pray for the person in here who has given their life to you, but they've strayed and they've wandered and they've actually gone in a completely different direction than the direction that you've called them to. And that's a direction where their eyes are actually fixed on you and their eyes have been fixed elsewhere. And meanwhile, they've been praying, God, I want you to hear this prayer and I want you to provide and I want this and I want this relationship and I want this friendship and I want this healing. But God, sometimes in order to have that built on a godly foundation, we gotta be right with you first. So I pray for anybody in here who needs to come back to you that they would. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to come back to him, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer right now as I pray silently. To, uh, I'm, I'm going to pray it and I want you to pray it silently to yourself right where you sit. That if you want to say yes to him, if you want to come back to him, pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love by dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to fill me with your love. Make me yours. I want to live the life you want me to live. I say yes to you. Yes, I want your love. Yes, I want the life you have for me. So fill me with your love and fill me with your Holy Spirit It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen if you prayed that prayer. Amen if you decided to make that commitment. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you're watching online, text amen to 77247. We invite that you tell us that you prayed that prayer because it's meaningful and it's powerful. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you want to be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.